Hey guys, Eric from Working Dog Radio. I want to talk to you about one of my favorites, and that is Dogtra. I've been using Dogtra collars for a long time, way before they became a sponsor of the podcast. The Police Canine Association, we've been using them, and that's all we use. Uh, we've been vendors for a while now, but we've been users of Dogtra collars way before we became vendors. At my kennel, I have a drawer full of them. I have the 1900S e collars, and I got a bunch of 600 bark collars. I like it nice and quiet. My kennel and those bark collars work perfectly. But Dogtra is not just sitting back doing nothing. They're out there uh, innovative designs, coming up with new stuff. And in May, they launched three new products. All right. They uh, sent them to Ted and I, and we get to test them. I cannot wait. This is the coolest part of my job here. Now I want to talk to you about the one that I'm going to try, and that's the Pathfinder. It's a GPS tracking and training collar where no cellular is required. There's free detailed satellite and terrain views from Google Maps, along with an offline maps mode. Easy location sharing for dogs and dog owners. History playback on your smartphone and computer. And custom alerts for dog actions using pop-ups, sound, and vibration. I have two brand new dogs in my kennel. I just started introducing them tracking a couple days ago and i can't wait to get them out and get longer and try these things out bird dog guys trial dog guys these things are perfect for you guys um check them out man they're not waiting on us they got them out there because they are proven with their stuff give them a call 888-811-9111 dogtra let me hop in here and talk about our one of our sponsors for the podcast, Southern Coast Canine, based out in New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine has been providing better training, better results, and better dogs for over 25 years. Led by Bill Heiser and known for their excellent high-drive dual-purpose and detection dogs and outstanding customer service. They have what you want and what you are looking for. Call 1-877-903-DOGS. That's 877-903-3647 and speak with Bill and to discuss your canine needs today. Or visit southerncoastcanine.com. That's the letter K, the number nine. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at southerncoastcanine, the letter K, the number nine. Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, welcome back. Another episode of Working Dog Radio. Um, I'm Eric Stambro from Van S. Canine over here in Ohio. As usual, uh, I'm here with my co-host, Ted. Ted, how are you? Rocking and rolling. We are, uh, we've been busy, busy, busy. Uh, I think probably by the time this uploads, um, it'll be already news but we went and did uh mic drop down in texas went and saw the boys at the ranch uh it was pretty cool it's a good interview um you know we got to talk about a crazy shit you got to tell the story of uh somebody whipping their junk out in a public bathroom and uh <laughs> yeah so yeah so if you haven't listened to that people that are listening to this go over and download it uh mic drop i don't remember which episode it's going to be it's probably i think it's like 14 or something so um yeah other than that alicia just got back 
from Houston yesterday. Uh, we picked up two green dogs and picked up another stripy dog and a big-ass German Shepherd that uh, I'm not 100% certain where he's going yet. But so I got lots of shit to do. So we got lots of dogs and lots of uh, lots of training going on right now. And uh, we, she also picked up your puppy. So <laughs> yeah, from, from yeah, Kendall. That was very nice of her. Yeah, so I've got... Right, Kendall... Uh, floating us a nice little uh, dutchy puppy up here. Um, one of my guys who's actually the vice president of the association, uh, Carl, just retired. And Carl worked two different dogs on the street, got them both as puppies and built them up, and he had two great dogs. So I hit him up the other day after uh, after Kendall sent me this thing about the puppy. I said, Carl, I have a project for you. You're retired. And uh, so he's going to do some you know good foundation stuff with the puppy and Things that uh, I don't have time to do at the moment, so he's going to help build them up, up real nice, and we'll see what we do with them. Awesome, yeah. And I guess after this episode airs, too, or right around the time it does, uh, we're going to be at Hits uh, doing some live stuff. Uh, we're going to be live video streaming from Hits. So if this is around the same time it uploads, be sure to check out the Facebook page for that. And we're going to be making an announcement about our new Patreon page, which is coming out here uh, very quickly by the time this airs. It should be rock and rolling and starting to get people to uh, over that direction um but yeah so other than that what have you been doing besides you got rid of all those damn lab puppies didn't you uh i still have i have the one female pick the the one who's showing the most work you know acumen uh bonnie we call her it's whatever um she I, I kept her back i haven't got to really mess with her as far as getting her doing like odor tubes and things like that but she so far seems to be the real deal and um we've just been socializing with a ton of other dogs and trying to expose as many as possible she's i like her she's not going to be huge she's going to be a nice probably i would like if i was to guess in the 50s pound wise you know right and she should she should be a nice little working size maybe 60 but uh, She's a fun little dog. She is into it, buddy, all over the place. So I have – she's over at the Lady Alley's house who's my partner on the pet side of the business. And when I'm working on dogs doing board and train, I want to socialize them. I take them over there because she's got 14 or 15 dogs that she's boarding and board and trained at the same time. And we use the puppy to help because she's in those dogs' face. She is oh, – she's yeah. relentless actually. It's a little – it can be a little annoying on some of them but – but anyways, on today's episode, we're lucky enough we have two guests, um, both former, not just military working dog handlers, but special operations military working dog handlers. Uh, people always love hearing those stories. These guys got a lot of stuff going on in the canine world, and uh, we're happy to welcome on uh, Eric Innes and John Devine. Guys, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yep. So... Um, what we're going to do is because we have two guests so that we don't get everybody confused. We're going to, uh, we'll talk to John first and then we'll talk to Eric and then we'll talk to them both about, uh, some really cool stuff they got going on. Uh, both of these guys have their own businesses in the canine world and they're, uh, joined forces for some really cool stuff that they're up to. Um, a little backstory on my relationship with, uh, John. Uh, so I, I went out to the West coast. A lot of people know that I went out to California to work the west coast navy seal mpc contract and right when i got there there were some dogs that were deployed so the dogs came back 
And two of the dogs came back while I was there, one named Nico and one named Ito. And Nico, we've mentioned when we introduced, when we interviewed Mike Suttle, if you remember, Ted, he, he talked about Nico. Right. Um, he ended up going to uh, the Warrior Dog Foundation eventually and then got adopted out to his uh, second handler, I think. Um, so when they come back from Afghanistan, they're in the kennel kind of supposedly decompressing or whatever. But this Edo dog, I, I start checking this dog out and he's kind of odd looking. I think he, to me, I think he probably has a little bit of Great Dane in him. Um, I, I always said he looked like a Malinois version of Scooby-Doo. Yep. And... Yeah, we have one, one, of one of the trainers. Yeah, one of the trainers. Um, I don't know. He didn't like him. Uh, he said he was kind of weird on a on a e collar. That was his opinion. I said, "Why? Well, I don't know the dog." And I had some downtime, so I got him out and started messing with him. And I was like, "This dog." I was just doing detection with him. I didn't even get to the bite work portion. I said, "This dog's an unbelievably amazing detection dog. Why are we not taking him in the trailer every day and taking him out on the?" you know, on the training problems, I said, I'll handle him. I don't care. This dog is awesome. And, uh, probably one of the better detection dogs I'd ever had a touch the leash on at that point. And so anyways, we're going forward. And one of the handlers from one of the seal teams had a dog that was having some medical issues. It was a female. She wasn't working out real well. And I noticed her lymph nodes on her neck were swollen. So they ultimately, when they asked, you know, well, we got to get a dog out of the kennel. I said, just get this Edo dog out here. So Ido goes, pairs up with this handler. They go off, train, have a great deployment, have a nice little time together. And um, so I'm, I'm going through Facebook one day, and I see this picture of this guy named John Devine, Navy SEAL. It's a picture of him and this dog in Afghanistan. And I fucking know that dog. I mean, you listen, when you see Ido, you're confusing him with other dogs. And I'm like, I know that dog. And then when I read down on the, on the description, it, it, it had his name and uh, Seal West Coast. And I, can't, I think he might have hashtagged Edo in it. I, I don't remember. But somehow I figured out that that was the dog. So I messaged John um, on one of the social media platforms. And I'm like, is that Edo West Coast? And we just started bullshitting. And, and he told me a little bit of his story. And um, him and I have had a pretty decent friendship since then. We've trained some uh, he selected a dog for a person that I trained the dog for, and we've had uh, a pretty good friendship going. So um, that, that history. let's start. Uh, let's start with your background, like uh, where you grew up, how you got into dogs, what it was like, right. you know, when you started in the Navy, and how you ended up in the NPC. All right. So, uh, so I grew up in New England, hence uh, being a New England Patriots fan. You know, and. Uh, you know, I, I grew up with golden retrievers, so going to the military, I was, I was pretty much an expert at all things dogs because uh, I had a pet. So uh, going into the Navy, I really didn't know, I didn't know shit about dogs. I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know there was a dog program. Um, I didn't know SEALs used dogs. I only had the intention of becoming a SEAL. That was my only real goal that I had going in. And, uh, and that was back in 2004 when I entered the military. And, you know, after some time in, uh, the word kind of got out about the, the MPC dog program at the SEAL teams. It was really not a really well-talked-about program. It was really low-key. There was only about three dogs or so uh, when it first started, so it wasn't really that big at all. And slowly but surely, the word kind of got out on the street that there is a dog program because all of a sudden we'll be doing a land warfare 
workup, and all of a sudden, a seal of the dog shows up, and that was usually the first introduction that people had to the dog uh, back in the day, you know. Uh, after a while, people started learning more and more about them, seeing all the things they're doing on deployment. Guys' lives are being saved that don't even know it because you have a dog at the, uh, the head of a patrol, patrolling into a target, finding three and four IEDs before they even hit a target, and, uh, you know, saving guys' lives, you know, left and right. I got to see some, some of that firsthand, and that is really what inspired me to want to be able to do the dog program later. I actually told myself after the first dog team I saw work, uh, I was like, if I ever have the opportunity to be able to do that, that's what I want to do. And especially as I was going into, you know, my next platoon and, and, uh, and whatnot, uh, we had guys, you know, coming back from overseas, from overseas with no legs. We were having guys not coming back from overseas at all. Um, and I just knew that, that these dogs were going to play such a huge role in the saving lives. So I, uh, I was really interested in it. And, uh, and one of the interesting things about the dog team at the time also was that if you went to the dog team, you knew exactly where you were going in that every single canine unit was going to Afghanistan at the time. Every single dog team was going to the most kinetic areas of Afghanistan, uh, as opposed to like, you know, the way the SEAL teams kind of work is that you truly don't really know where you're going to be deploying until you start uh, getting closer to deployment time. Like you might be going to the Philippines, you might be going to Europe, you might be going to Afghanistan, you might be going to, you know, all the different areas of the world that, that the SEAL teams cover down on your platoon might be the one selected to go there. But at the dog teams, everyone knew where they were training and what they were training for. Um, so that was just one little mindset thing that I, I really appreciate about, about going over there. And uh, so my first introduction really to going to the dog teams was, one, I volunteered to go to it once I kind of found out about it. And originally I was denied because I was going to be a fire team leader for the next deployment. Uh, and they kind of said that they needed more you know, seniority and more experience around the platoon. So, you know, I wasn't like super heartbroken of it because like I said, when I came into the teams, my whole life goal was not to be a dog handler. It's just something I kind of stumbled upon. Uh, but then a new directive came out that they were going to expand the number of the dog teams by like, like a hundred percent. They need to get more handlers over there. And because I already volunteered for it, I was like at the top of the list of guys they asked if they, if, if I wanted to go and I got brought into the office of my senior chief at the time. And he's like, John, uh, do you still want to go to the dog teams? And I said, well, how long do I have to decide about this? Because I was thinking, like, maybe I'll just go dip my toes in there, go talk to the people over there and kind of see what's up. He's like, well, you have about five minutes because uh, if not, I have to go down the <laughs> list and <laughs> get oh, someone else. And, uh, and basically, from that moment forth, I just took this, like, leap of faith that I, it's, I knew it was something I wanted to do. But sure enough, uh, from there, the very next day, uh, it's not that far away. It's, it's across the street. You know, Eric, he's kind of familiar. Actually, both Eric's are pretty familiar with, uh, with where they're located. They're located literally across the street from the, the SEAL teams. And the next morning, I was, uh, I was catching every single dog in the kennel in a bite suit. And, uh, you know, it was probably halfway hazing, halfway seeing if you really want to be there or not. And uh, I always <laughs> tell people that, like, <laughs> you know, you, you kind of have two reactions. You either have uh, shit this is kind of gnarly or, you know, or this is really awesome. And, uh, and I think I had a mixture of both, but it was enough. It was enough waiting to one side that, that I really, I really wanted to be there the next day. Uh, you know, after, after some, some bruising and whatnot, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, 
if you uh, if you're there at the time, like we, we, you know, every kennel probably has you know some of their harder biters, but I feel like at the time, almost every dog we had was a freaking man eater, um, and I caught all um, all of them in one summer day in a bite suit, first time ever being in a bite suit, you know, and uh, that was my initial introduction to the to the seal dog program. Um, so let's back up real quick. So when I first, before I, before I worked at contract a couple of years prior to that, I had gone to a, a base through an invite, uh, a base over in Indiana. A lot of people will know that have been there, know where it's at. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. when, uh, the East coast guys were doing their South workup, their, um, you know, urban combat stuff. And that was the first time I had met the East coast dog guys. And at that time, there was no West Coast. It was just East Coast. So then eventually when I got out there is when uh, um, couple, like a year and a half into the West Coast program. But but at the time, and a lot of folks don't know this, at, at the time, if you got into the dog program, you left your – you could leave your team or you could le- definitely leave your platoon and they kind of put you into a pool and you went with whomever was deploying. But when I got out to the West Coast, they started doing you stayed with your platoon yep. and you did your work up with the same guys. Now, where were you at in that time? So, frame? so the interesting thing about my time frame is I got to do kind of three different eras. It was first, it was the, you know, the Mike Ritland, Wayne Dodge era, uh, where I was super grateful and super thankful that they were like my initial introduction to, to learning about dogs. Um, and then it went, kind of went through the dark ages because then there was no training contract. It was like this weird period of like every man for himself, Lord of the flies. Um, <laughs> and, and then, and then, you know, then Cobra canine kind of came in and took the contract, uh, cause they already had the contract with the East coast. So the Navy was like, you know what, we should probably make this more uniform and have the same company doing both coasts. Cause you know, from a, from an overhead perspective, it does kind of make sense in the sense to, to have some continuity between coasts. Mm-hmm. Um, which also gave me the opportunity to be able to train with the East coast. And I think I did just as many Souks and just as many, uh, you know, workup packages on the East coast that I did the West coast. I got to do like, you know, two or three on each coast, every workup, you know? Yeah. So it was really interesting that I got a, I really got to get a good perspective on the differences on, on even how the East versus West coast field teams even operate. Uh, so it was really interesting to, to be able to see that, you know, uh, working, a, working a dog. And at that time, you had uh, – so they were still doing it as a pool? Like you would go – you were going with whoever was deploying? Yep. Or did they put you back with so your platoon? At, so at first, it was uh, it was just a pool. But while I was there, it kind of switched to uh, to keeping guys to work up – do a workup with the same unit they're going to be with and, uh, and deploy with them. So I kind of got a mixture of both in the sense of that I did a workup with, with Team 7 um, – with uh you know with team five and uh and actually whatever teams were on their workup cycle on the east coast i got to work with them as well um and then when i by the time i actually deployed though i got to deploy with the same team that i actually was already at which was the the intention already which i got to deploy with team five you know even though i did a workup with pretty much a number of different teams um so also i got to see kind of some cool differences and just different the way different teams operate and whatnot so you know, it was a fun time, but um, I think right now they've they've uh, they've kind of settled on guys training with the same exact you know task unit that they're going to be deploying with, which in my opinion makes sense because you want to be able to know 
the guys you're working with in that uh, it's just the same way you'd work in a platoon. But uh, there are some challenges in a sense just because being a dog guy, it's not like being a sniper or like being a breacher or like being a JTAC where you can just kind of like break out your sniper rifle once in a while and go do a, you know, a little sniper routing and, <laughs> and right, your skills. Right. <laughs> you know, you can't just dust your dog off a shelf. You, uh, you have to be working your dog every day. So if you're not doing that, you're, you know, you're detraining. And, uh, and so just some of the challenges. Yeah, for sure. It, it, when I was there, they were they were doing that where you stayed with your unit, and uh, I could tell the unit guys, the you know the guys over there liked it because they knew that the the dog guys. Um, I was lucky. I was I had team one assigned to me, and the two guys that I had assigned to me were top notch guys. Yeah, their um, their platoons liked them, you know, and and trusted them and respected them. The only thing is, the one guy they had him dog handling and a fire team leader, and that didn't really. That was a little nope. much. Yeah, that was a little bit that too does not much. Work. You start no, telling your uh, you start telling your guys fooey, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> I do that to my niece. But you're like, <laughs> I need to put a, I need to put an e collar on this dude. Yeah. Um, so I've I've Probably. I've listened. I've seen interviews you've done, or, or not even interviews. Um, you know, little uh, group talks and things, and I've read some things uh, that you've said about. Uh, so you get Edo, and he's a he's like needs a, a ton of extra work. Like you're putting in tons okay. of extra hours. So initially when I got Edo, uh, they just like, when I first got there, it's kind of an apprenticeship program before you even go to the handler course. So, um, I mean, I was, I trained with my dog for about a year before I ever deployed, but, uh, just before I go to the handler course, anyway, I went through two different dogs that flushed out of the program and all that was left in the kennel was Edo. And they actually kind of, at the time they were like, Hey John, um, the handler course is in two weeks, um, and we're going to try to get you a dog. We're going we're to try to get you a dog before it happens. So I'm like, all right, all right, all right, cool. That was their way of apologizing for, like, flushing my dog out of the program. Mm -hmm. And literally about, you know, two days before I'm supposed to fly to the East Coast to do the handler course, they're like, John, sorry, we, we couldn't get you a dog. You're going to have to use this dog, you know. <laughs> I'm, like, <Yeah. laughs> I'm like, so. <laughs> and they're like, he's probably – we're like 50 50 on him making it through the program, but you're going to get some experience doing the handler course with him anyway. And, uh, in, you know, you're going to need to have a dog. Meanwhile, all the other handlers have dogs that have like double deployments under their belts at least. And it's pretty much like they just have to pretty much hold the leash and, and not get in the way of their dog and their dog is going to perform. And my dog didn't even know how to sit or know his name yet, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we fly, uh, pretty much, less than two days later, we're flying to the East coast and I'm going there with a couple other handlers, um, you know, that are kind of new and whatnot. And upon landing, uh, we see the dogs coming out of the, uh, the, the airplane terminal and we smell them before we see them because obviously one of the dogs shit themselves and is now going through the Norfolk terminal terminal. And, uh, all the handlers were looking at each other, hoping that it's not our dog, but of course, mm -hmm. once they get close enough, you don't even see a Malinois anymore. It looked like a shit covered Dutch shepherd because he rolled around in all the shit. And, uh, oh. that... <laughs> yeah, we call that, a, <laughs> then... we call that a shit refuge. <laughs> yeah. So there is some shit refuge going on there. And, uh, that was my first, my first bonding experience with, Edo was, was, uh, washing all the shit off him at, at like 11 o'clock at night. And I, uh, in back of a hotel, <laughs> but, uh, <That's> awesome. <laughs> so, 
working with Ida was it was um, a challenge, but in all honesty, I'm so great. I'm so grateful for that challenge because uh, I started way beyond, like way behind the power curve. Everybody was ahead of me. I, I looked. I probably looked like the most jacked up dog handler to ever hold a leash at the time, and I probably was. You know what I mean? So, right. um, <laughs> but but uh, I just knew that my dog needed more work. He needed more work than any other dog. I was like, well, if all these other dogs are more experienced, my dog needs more work. And so pretty much after we finished every training day, my dog you know, came back to the hotel with me, slept with me, and we have a lot of hours. You do have a lot of hours in every day that I spent instead of you know talking on the phone and bullshitting on Facebook and playing Mahjong or whatever it is that people do. <laughs> I, uh, I was training my dog. <laughs> you know? I just took my dog back and was just doing anything I could do. You know, I didn't have like, if I didn't have training aids to use, then I'd just be doing basic obedience, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you can always find time to get, to get good reps. And that's what I was doing. And sure enough, um, just in the span of an, an eight week handler course, we went from being the, the absolute worst dog team there to being like one of the top performing dog teams, um, in a lot of categories, uh, in that handler course before we left. Nice. What do you remember, um, like that first light bulb moment with Ito when, when you're like, man, you know, we've been really putting in, and then boom, that one day yeah. that something happens. You know what? I would say that, you know, so in, in our dogs, they're multi purpose canines. So, so technically, they're supposed to be able to be a patrol apprehension dog, a detection dog, and a tracking dog. Obviously, you know, it's no surprise that we do a lot more detection and apprehension than we do tracking. But those, those two disciplines of apprehension and, and uh, detection are so important that the first time my dog ever saw a bite suit was really telling to me. In the sense of the first time my dog ever saw a bite suit, he did not know what the hell it even was. I'm talking like no association, nothing, not even like n- not even an ear twitch, you know, not, no, <laughs> no drive whatsoever. <clears throat> but the moment that that decoy brought him a fight, he was in it a hundred percent. And that's when I was like, you know what? That's actually kind of cool. You know, I, I, I think we can work with this, you know, and it gives right. a big qu- you know, the big question on him is if he was going to be a hard enough dog. And this was also at a point where his balls hadn't even dropped yet. He was like under a year old, you know? Wow. Um, and then, you know, by the time we got back to the, to the, uh, to the West coast and we're doing more training and more training, I had some other trainers, you know, talk to me and they're like, John, you don't even understand how lucky you are. I'm like, what do you mean? Uh, they're like, this is the best detection dog I've ever seen. And I've been doing dogs for 20 plus years. And for me to hear that, that was, that was good in a sense, just because I was so naive that I just thought this is how dogs are supposed to be. And I'm just like, well, no, I mean, the dog, you, you have a bomb, the dog finds the bomb and that's just what it does. Cause it's, it's the dog. Right. And they're like, no, you don't understand your dog is, you know, he's alerting on an IED outside of a door, outside of the building, letting you, like, I could pretty much tell if there was an aid placed in a building before we ever even entered the building, you know, wow. so I could, I could lay him down outside of a building, uh, in a hallway and ju- just by his body language, I could tell you if there was something in that building, it was, uh, you know, something out of this world, really, you know? Yeah. Th- yeah. That, I, I loved working with, with Edo. He, uh, I would just take him over to, um, You'll, you'll know it was the old hotel over there right by the kennels and yep. I go over to that old hotel over there and, and work thresholds like and, and dude was crushing it and I was like man th- I mean 
I, I didn't do any. I didn't teach the dog anything. All I did was keep him proficient. Yep. And uh, he was uh, he was he was a lot of fun. I, I'm happy to have gotten to uh, to work him. So you end up you get through your your rotation, you get through your workup, and then you deploy with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure uh, that was quite an experience. What Absolutely. what was the like? We're not in Kansas anymore. Like when you get over there, I. I mean, you're a seal, but now you have a, yep. you're a seal with a four-legged uh, three-year-old that doesn't speak English and bites. <laughs> so, so this is how this is how quickly things can happen. In that, I was I was literally in San Diego, you know, packing up a, a deployment Connex box, and 48 hours later, I was on Nas leading a you know stack of team guys to a compound, you know. Like it was, it was literally, it was that fast in that I was doing a turnover with another dog team that was already active. So these guys, uh-huh. these guys aren't, they're not starting their deployment. They're already a few months in their deployment rhythm. So they already have con ops and ops that are going on and just due by the, to scheduling mishaps and whatnot, it was actually Nico. So Nico was the dog that was there before mm. me and he actually was already gone. So he was already gone. Normally it's the, the turnover is that you show up, the other dog handler kind of like introduces you to what's going on in the theater and things like that. But just due to scheduling mishaps, he's been gone for two days. So they were dogless for a few days already and they were kind of feeling it. And I literally showed up and I was on an op like with less than, less than two days later, um, you know, doing, doing what we do. And uh, I, I just want to implore to all these, all the, any kind of military or law enforcement handler that everything that you hear from trainers when they say stuff like this, like take your training serious because the last thing you want to be thinking about when you're on Nas at night leading a patrol is if you train hard enough. You don't want to have that feeling. And, you know, I'll be honest, I made peace with it when I showed up in theater because really I knew I did my best. I didn't really have you know, another life besides training my dog before I showed up in theater. Um, luckily, that, that first introductory op wasn't anything like anything crazy. So it was a good in, introduction, you know, introduction to Afghanistan. But uh, everyone came home and everything was good. Um, but I just implore to everyone that, you know, every bit of training you do um, is going to reflect how you do overseas because your dogs, they don't rise to the occasion. They don't all of a sudden magically get better in deployment. They fall. They fall back on the lowest level of training you've done. So, just take that to, That's to right. heart. That's a good point. Yeah, it's so something, you, we, you, something we harp on a lot. Yeah. yeah. So you're over there. You do what all the stuff that fun shit that seals do, yep. which is you know, doing stuff and taking pictures. I've seen a lot of pictures of you and that dog, <laughs> uh, <laughs> shirtless or whatever. But I, I tell you what, if there was an Instagram back in the day, I would have had way more pictures. Just saying. You know? right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honest. So when you you come back to San Diego, and and this is one thing I've always I've always thought was wrong about the MPC program, is most guys come back and it's one pump. They do one yep. tour with the dog and then they're out. Then they have to yep. go on to something else. Um, and I don't know if that's um, a thing in the SEAL teams with all disciplines or if it's, if it's just not a commitment to the dog program and they just don't understand it. Now I know there's, there's a couple guys that have had multiple deployments with dogs. Not many though. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so what happened to you when you got back? So pretty much when I got back, uh, due to like a, a weird change in command structure, um, essentially 
I had it worked out. So I had it worked out that when I came back from Afghanistan, I was going to stay at the dog teams for another tour of two years, which would probably mean I would get a couple more pumps and whatnot. Um, but due to like some kind of structural change that happened, there was no more billets at the dog teams. They decided to switch all the billets to being organic at the SEAL teams. And this all kind of happened while I was on, on deployment. So I kind of like got <laughs> kind of SOL'd. Um, I was trying to pretty much go back and do another back-to-back deployment at the time. But they pretty much said that that was not going to happen and that you pretty much are going to be, you know, at the least six months out from ever going overseas again at the, you know, at the least. I was like, all right, well, so I opted that that was going to be a good time to, uh, to go get a surgery done. Um, I had some, some pending, uh, you know, some pending issues anyway. Um, went to surgery like, you know, another two days later. And when I came out of, out of surgery, I was told that Ido was being handed to another handler and he was redeploying um, that week. So I was like, Ooh. not too, not, yeah, exactly. I wasn't too happy about that because had I known that, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have gone to surgery. I just would have gone back myself. But uh, they ended up handing him over to another handler that his dog flushed out of the program literally like a week before they were going to deploy him, you know, and they needed a dog. And when they tested Ido, they realized that Ido, uh, not only was he like doing great, but that he was actually crushing it better than he did before he left, which I definitely attribute to the fact that like we were training in Afghanistan. There was the, the myth, the myth that I kind of dispelled was that dogs don't really get burnt out on deployment. It's just that they get detrained on deployment because when guys are deploying, they tend not to train, meaning that they'll, they'll op, they'll go on ops. But I'll be honest, like when you go and all you do is go do ops, your dog actually gets detrained because they get away with little things here and there because that's not the time. You're not training your dog while you're about to make a room entry on some potential bad guys that you have to shoot in the face. You're like, all right, you take note of that. Yeah, you're right. like, okay. Yeah, you're like, my dog is doing this and I don't really like that. I'm going to have to go back and work on that when we get back off this op. You know, and that's the, all the mental notes that I would take on every op because whenever we're not oping, I would be training. And not only that, I would make sure that my dog could be worked by anybody in my platoon could work my dog. And uh, I think that definitely helped with the transfer to another handler in that, like, he was like a soldier. Like, anybody who knew, anybody who knew the magic words could work that dog, you know? So uh, I definitely think that that's a good thing. Like, I know some guys are very personal with their dogs. They only want to be able to, like, be the only one their dog listens to and stuff like that. But, like, mm-hmm. in a military environment, that's not beneficial at all. You want to have a soldier that can be worked by anyone in your group, any other dog handler, because you never know when that time might come or your dog has to go work for somebody else. Right. Well, we see that two days after you land, yeah. the dogs are yep. recycled back over, yep. Um, yep. which yep. I know wasn't their initial initial plan in that in that program, but it happens all the time. I, I saw totally. it several times when I was there. Yep. So eventually, eventually, uh, kind of fast forwarding, you you get out of the Navy and you still got this dog thing in you, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, so initially when I first got out of the Navy, I thought I was going to go to law school or something, you know, and, and uh, that's actually what I was actually shooting for. I was like, you know what? I was like, screw it. I'm going to go to Harvard. That sounds like a challenge. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? And, uh, but at the time I was also like, just really, I don't know. I, I definitely was missing being out of the teams, not, not having any connection to like my identity and so I started helping people with um, with their dog issues. And this is something I had been doing all along. 
And then before you know it, I started some like a meetup group that like I'm literally meeting with people in like Balboa Park in San Diego. And I'm like, come ye, come all, you know, anybody who just wants to get some free dog training and come, come in. And, uh, and it started off as just a small group of people before I knew it, that group kind of grew to a size that I couldn't even handle myself anymore. So I had to pretty much stop doing it and started just having clients essentially before you know it. I'm like, wow, people are paying me money now to train their dogs. I guess I should have like a business account. And then it became like, well, I guess mm. I should have an, L- I guess I should have an LLC. I guess I should do. So it kind of happened really like organically little by little. Um, I started pretty much training people's dogs. And then, you know, then I started, you know, networking with other trainers and things like that to, to jump on other projects to help train law enforcement and things like that. And, um, and, you know, just kind of been a step-by-step process that before I knew it, I just realized that I knew that dogs were something that was awesome that I loved doing. I just didn't see it as like a business opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't see it until it, until it was already kind of like thrown in my lap. And I was like, wow, you know what? I actually have an opportunity here to do something that I love doing and get paid to do it. Like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't I take this? You know? So, yeah, exactly. That's the plan of apparently. Um, yeah. so <laughs> what, what did you, um, you have a lot of things going on as far as divine canine talk about, you know, like the, uh, the workout stuff you're doing with dogs oh, and, yeah. and things like that. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, so one, you know, I have divine canines and we do everything from, you know, we're based out of LA. Uh, we were based out of San Diego up until about a year ago, but I were in LA now. Uh, we do everything from personal protection dogs to behavioral modification to, to consulting for law enforcement. Um, that's pretty much our, our gig for divine canines. And, uh, and I start a thing called mutt fit, which is, it's, it's a way to work out with your dog and, and be able to incorporate a dog into your, your fitness routine. And that every week I make up another workout that you can do with your dog. And I name it after a hero canine. So it's kind of like what, what CrossFit does with their hero wads. They name it after a hero. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I was like, I feel like a lot of these canines, like, you know, they, they do so much for us and their names can just get lost to time. If we don't find a way to remember them, you know? And so I name every single mutt fit workout after a hero canine that's either died in, in the line of duty or a dog that had an awesome career and, you know, passed away, you know, due to natural causes or, or old age later on. And I really feel that like dog fitness is such a underlooked aspect of your bond with your dog because um, it's something that I definitely practiced, but I didn't realize how beneficial it was until later. But, you know, when I was training for Afghanistan, I knew that I had to be in good shape. I was like, hey, we're going to be hucking up and down these uh, these mountains, you know, at high altitude, possibly, you know, in all sorts of different kind of weather. Uh, so I have to be in good shape, but also my dog has to be in good shape. So we would work. We worked out a lot. You know, every Sunday we ran 13 miles every Sunday. We worked up to that, but that's, that's yeah. what my dog was, cap- was capable of doing. And uh, we, we had to be, but there's something that I noticed happening. Later on, I noticed that looking back on it, like his trust for me increased so much when he understood that, like, it doesn't matter how hard we work, that I'll always be there for him. And I kind of attribute it to kind of like the way wolves are in the sense, like in the wild, wolves don't trust, they don't trust each other because they've been introduced and they're like, hey, this is a good wolf. Uh, You can rely on him. No, they, they earn that trust by working together, by like, by hunting together, by patrolling together. 
by getting into like these fights together, you know, by, by having experiences together. And I really think that if people actually do work out with their dogs, that if they push themselves together, that that really does help uh, increase that trust and that bond between the handler and the dog. Uh, well, I agree 100%. That's, and I stress it all the time about exercise your dogs. And it doesn't mean you stand there doing nothing. Absolutely. You know, you, you should take that advantage. And I, I like seeing those MutFit workouts. It's pretty cool seeing the stuff that uh, people are doing. I, I see a lot of people doing some pretty cool stuff, man, with dogs and harnesses. And they probably have to go out and buy some of that gear to be able to do it. But it's pretty cool to watch. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, like, we try to do yeah. a variety of, uh, of stuff that's pretty intense. But we also try to incorporate some stuff that's like you don't have to be a, a tier one operator with a Malinois to be able to accomplish it. So uh, we also advocate that. Feel free to be creative with this stuff. If you see a workout that you know you can't you can't do exactly 100%, just scale it. Scale it however, be creative. Mm -hmm. And uh, the intent is just to really be, get out there, get active with your dog, and, and help that bond, you know, and remember these hero canines. Right. I agree. I agree. All right. So, Ted, let's talk about our next guest, too. Yeah. So, uh, also tonight, the other portion of Rescue 22, we also have Eric Ennis on. Eric, what's up? Uh, trying to get taller by the day. <laughs> How's that going? Uh, I still haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> you still have to sit in a milk You'll get wealthy what? if you, you do. <laughs> yeah. when, when I sit in the booth at like uh, Ruby Tuesdays, my feet don't touch the ground. <laughs> so I guess when you were in the Rangers, you had a, you had a fucking saddle for your dog. <laughs> Hell yeah. Rode that motherfucker around like a big horse. <laughs> it, yeah, well, I learned because... Before that, I had to carry around all the, the heavy machine guns and stuff like that. They love doing that to shorter people for some reason. That's because you don't have to pick it up that far. I guess so. Because my, <laughs> my, rep, my rep range of motion is is shorter. Awesome. <laughs> so you were uh, in the Army. You were uh, you're a Ranger. Um, you're a handler in the Rangers. So kind of give us some of your background, how you got in the military, how you decided to go to the, uh, the bitey side, and then uh, we'll take it from there. Cool. Sounds good. I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, yeah, for sure. So joined the army, come from military family. Uh, my my dad is a it's a SF Green Beret guy. Uh, he wanted me to do that thing, and then he wanted me to go actually um, to go to the West Point Academy. And so at the time, I was this Time Magazine like Child of the Year, like Eagle Scout, like all this stuff. So. Everything got approved, but then uh, I kind of went against my parents' wishes after watching Black Hawk Down, and I was like, that's what I'm doing. And so instead of going to, to college and, and doing all this stuff, and uh, I was like, I'm going to fast rope and do all this stuff and have this sweet haircut. And so <laughs> uh, as soon as I graduated high school, I was like, boop, out the door. And so joined the Army. Um, but my contract was specifically from day one recruiter's office. Like they try to play the whole game. Like, Oh, you could be, uh, a gas pump person for the army. I was like, Nope, I'm going Ranger. And then they're like, Oh, we don't have anything. And I was like, all right, bye. I'll be back when you do two hours later, phone rings. Hey, we magically called the Pentagon and got you a slot due to your eagerness, something like that. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, I'll, I'll sign the papers at the time. I was like, 20 years, I'm in, sign me up. And they're like, well, we only have a six-year contract. And I was like, fine, I'll take that. And then I'll do 14 after that. And so just being naive and like super gung-ho. At the, at the time, the war was, was kicking off in 2005, 2006. And so 
um, you had started to see a lot of stuff. And now that we were in multiple theaters and so join the army, uh, 18 years old, go through everything, jump school, uh, Ranger indoctrination program, which was the selection to go into Rangers, um, passed everything first time go. And then I'm just this, you know, short kid with a really bad haircut, uh, getting assigned to a, a Ranger battalion. And so do that for a few years. And after my first three deployments, um, I did Iraq and then two Afghanistan pumps as a, as a normal assaulter, um, doing Ranger stuff, carrying around heavy stuff and shooting them. (laughs) And so, uh, then the dog program came around and at that time, the dog program, I actually didn't want to do dogs, which is, I think, I feel like most dog people kind of are that way. And so dog program in the Ranger Battalion was contracted out. So you had um, contractors who were the dog guys, like in Iraq and stuff like that. And so, so I didn't really see them, you know. Um, so my first few deployments, I didn't really know until my last deployment or my third deployment I saw one of our guys and he had a dog guy and it was kind of the whispered program, kind of like at the, at the SEAL teams, like John was talking about, like everybody knew there was snipers and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden there was like the dudes you never see anymore. Once they left your platoon, you're like, where did they go? Uh, mm-hmm. And then every once in a while you'd see them, you know, round base running with the dog and you're like, oh, they went to the dog program at that time. There's like three slots. And so, it was one of those like good old boy things in the beginning, right? Like somebody liked somebody. So they got him in the program. Like you never saw him at formations. You never saw nothing like that. So I never really knew I wanted to be a dog handler. Uh, I actually raised my hand after my, my third deployment. I'm like, you know what, you know who kills the most people, the snipers, they kill the most people. Like I'm gonna go do that. I'm gonna go get a rifle. That's as tall as me. And then I'm going to go sit on a rooftop because they don't carry nothing. They're super light. They have like no equipment and they just got a sniper rifle. And then being in Afghanistan, you're like, you know, they get, they get the cream of the crop. They get to see everything. They're up on brew, all, all this different stuff. And I was like, man, that's so cool. I'm going to go do something different because I was thinking like long-term at the time I was like, man, it's cool. I was a breacher. I was an assaulter. I did machine guns. I did rocket launchers, Carl Gustav's like whole nine. And I was like, and none of this is transferable outside of the military. Like, and so I was like, okay, well let me get out of the, the assaulting part and do something else. And so, uh, that's when I tried out for the sniper section and there was like five people trying out and, uh, a more senior dude got the slot. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to go be a fire team leader for, for the next appointment, which I was going to do. And, but the thing is with, in the Rangers, like once you kind of like take your foot out of the platoon, then you kind of get shitted on. You're like, they're like, oh, well, he's, he's trying to do something elsewhere. And then you kind of get like kicked to the curb. Like, if you're trying to do anything outside of like door kicking, they're like, oh, you. anyways, you're out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, man, I need to find a, I need to find a job. <laughs> so, 
So um, the dog program, uh, a course was coming up and they asked if I wanted to do it. And so I signed up. Uh, well, I didn't sign up. I basically raised my hand and I want to do that. And they have their own little selection to be a dog guy. And so um, went through that. And that's how I started from, from the military into getting into uh, what I do now. Down so how many steps. different dogs did you guys handle or did you handle while you were over there? Okay, well, I had like one dog the concrete my flat area. time in. I had one dog, and he was, a, uh, he was actually a German Shepherd Malinois cross. And so he was a, a Malaherd, and his name was Rex. And so by the time I got him, he had already done two deployments, one in Afghanistan, which he was assigned to my platoon, and then one to uh, Iraq. And so this was a time when it was like the first or second class of homegrown within the Ranger organization uh, canine, like NPCs, because like I said, prior to that, I was contracted out. So this was like class number two of the program. Uh, This dog came from that program. So he was a he was about a three-year-old dog at the time that I got him. Super, super, like, uh, super driving because how they were taught in the beginning was like a banger. He was a banger to bite dog. So anytime there was like chaos, right, firefight, bangers, whatever, the dog was like, I'm trying to eat somebody. <laughs> and yeah. so the dog is on autopilot, uh, you know, because dog, dog training is evolving so much, especially working dogs. And just at that time, that's what that's how they figured out how to get a dog to be fearless going into a building, you know? Um, so I get this dog and he's pretty much autopilot, awesome detection, awesome bite work. And I'm kind of like what John was saying, I'm the dude who just has to pick up the leash. And so it did help though, that his prior handler was, I think, shorter than me. So I think we bonded really fast. He was like, Oh, same, same type of dude, different face. This, this guy's way more uglier now. And so, (laughs) I'm like, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'll take that dog. And so he was a more veteran dog in the, in the program, which, um, I think it helped. And I'm a big advocate of not pairing two green things together. Um, meaning not pairing a green dog with a green handler or somebody who's just getting started, either a veteran guy with a green dog or vice versa. Um, a green dog, a green guy with a veteran dog. And it kind of helps bridge that gap smoothly. Um, because I have seen in the programs where you got a guy going into handler course and they give him a brand new dog, uh, straight from, you know, a kennel in Indiana. And they're like, here you go. And so it's two things twiddling their thumbs and tails and they don't, know nothing about anything and they're not set up for success too much in my opinion so um personally in in the rangers i had one dog uh malinois mix and actually i'm kind of biased uh i liked him a lot actually that's that's what i knew first but i liked it It had the drive of a i had the driviness and work ethic of a mal but the edge was kind of taken off with the shepherd um so and in the teams that's what i used uh, and I did two deployments to Afghanistan um, with that dog before I left. And then once I left, got out of the military, that dog did another two more deployments. So I think he had eight tours 
uh, total. Damn. Yeah. So at the time, um, one thing that the Rangers weren't doing was, <clears throat> like I've seen some of the other uh, units were doing, was when the dog and the handler was done, then that was kind of it, right? Like the team is over, right. move on type of thing. But not in the Rangers. It was like, like if the handler got out, like then the dog would go to a new handler and keep pushing. So because at that time they didn't, uh, it was a new program. So they didn't know how the dogs would do in retirement, getting paired with a handler, like living civilian life. So either the dog went to a law enforcement um, or if the dog had worked, the dog worked like they, so that dog did eight or nine deployments and most dogs were like that. And they would go through three or four handlers in their lifetime, um, you know, handling. And so, you know, I, I stayed with one dog, but that's yeah, kind of my, that's why I ask is you're uh, you know, um, one of our good friends, um, Trent and right. cause he handled several dogs and some because right. they ended up getting shot and, you know, and some other, right. So, <laughs> and so, one deployment, I mean, Mac went through three dogs. Yeah. He had um, three dogs shot in one deployment. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's why, that's why I asked, I, I didn't know if you'd handle more than one or, um, so what was kind of a, like Eric said, you know, the first time you go over with the dog, cause you've already been there right. once or twice before. So you go over with the dog and like John was just saying, you know, what was the old shit moment? Um, when you're like, Oh fuck, I'm not training anymore. <laughs> like this <Yeah>. is, <laughs> this is gnarly. Actually, it's completely like, it was a completely different, um, way of fighting. Um, because, like I said, my first one was Iraq, and that was like an eye-opener, you know, and that was just like, it's going down. I was actually, we were partnered up with the SEAL team for that deployment, and it was just like Chuck Norris. Like, you're just thinking like rocket launchers <laughs> on, on uh, motorcycles. It was that type of deployment. Um, and then my other two to Afghanistan, I had an idea, like I had already been in firefights, like whole nine. So I understood the layout of Afghanistan already. Unlike John to where it was like, that's the first time he's, he's doing both deploying and being a handler in that type of environment. So I already had the foundation of like the climate, you know, how to fight, like all this uh, stuff by the time I was a handler. So my first deployment, it was kind of like, how can I get my dog to be trusted by the platoon in theater so it's different like in train-ups right they tend to they use the dog because there's some type of commanding officer or something that's like dog is going to be insert here x marks the spot so they do it for like mm. the training but when it came to deployment um the problem is is the early dogs uh like most people have had experience with they're like the dog will bite anybody it doesn't matter if it's operator bad guy whatever just get out of the way of the dog type of thing so my dog wasn't necessarily like that so i had to find a way to um get them more comfortable and use my dog overseas so what i basically did was i tried to go everywhere and so front like doing detection doing bite work i tried to put my nose in everything i could do and so i think the biggest aha moment um for me and the dog was um, doing detection, really. And so most people, it's, it, you know, it might be bite work or whatever, but when you're doing 
long infills through Afghanistan. Um, and when I learned I could trust my dog, my, my first deployment with a dog was in uh, the Kandahar, southern Afghanistan region. So if you were to look at the scale of like the amount of IEDs and stuff like that in Afghanistan, then this this part of the country, you might as well just stroke it and paint it red because that's kind of um, what it would look like on a map when it's like prior IEDs, prior caches, prior tripwires. You know, typically when you look at a map and it's like dot, 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 all these locations, well, where I went, you might as well just paint the whole thing red. So, um, you know, they sent me as a dog team, my platoon down there. And when you look at a map, even when you scale it in and we're like, okay, we have to hit this compound. It's a 5K infill, right, at night, under nods, with a dog. And this is like your first time handling a dog, for real, for real. Then um, I would do a lot of off-leash detection with my dog. Just I didn't want to be within a 30-foot leash of an IED, so I would do off-leash work. Yeah, that's a good plan. Um, so I would, I would do that. And then when we – the first time I remember we successfully – we didn't have any fines that exact mission for that um, for that route. So with the dog guy, I also plan routes because I'm thinking like a dog, or I'm thinking like how I would plant, or how would I circumvent um, planting IEDs. So when it came to that, I was thinking as the EOD guy as well as the dog guy as well as the bad guy. So because all the other assaulters, they're just they're just worried about shooting people. You know, and so I'm worried about stepping on things. And uh, so when we we executed this target, 5K infill, 5K out, you know, do everything actions on the building, then I'm watching my dog like a hawk. Like I'm I probably would have got shot in the face because I'm this is the first time like really using my dog. And I don't want anybody to die because of me not paying attention. Right. And so when you're watching your dog in a 5K infill under nods is, you know, it's not the easiest thing to do, but we practice enough. So um, long story short, nothing, we are perfectly fine. Nothing happened, right? So infill, good. Action on target, great. Exfill, perfect. Well, I come back and we see the sit rep of like two days later of all the IEDs. And there was probably... Um, I think where we went, there was no IDs, right? The route that I choose, that I chose on the planning and everything like that, nothing. Perfect. Everywhere around us, it just looked like people dropped cherries and apples and pinpoints, right? Like the pin on, drop a pin on your iPhone, right? All around except for the route that we took. So in my head as a handler, I'm like, man, did we miss anything? You know, is he, is he actually doing detection? Is he just pissing on stuff like when you're actually doing it you're you're so worried as a handler like did he miss anything like but then i realized when i took the map from like a few days we advanced a few days and then i saw everything that was found and the route that we took then i realized that 100 percent, my dog didn't find anything because there was nothing there so that's when like the light bulb went off i'm like man trust my dog because he was he was perfect 100%, you know. Um, now, if they would have showed like, man, there was like three IEDs on the bridge that we crossed, then I would have been 
worried because I'm like, man, my dog didn't let me know anything. Thanks a lot. So, but when I, when I paired up the map, um, you know, and, and what actually transpired, then I realized my dog was perfect 100%. So at that point I started trusting my dog. And then the problem is that's kind of where you get a little ballsy and you, you start like, yeah, my dog's perfect 100% of the time. And you start doing stuff, which I don't recommend. Uh, <laughs> but that, that was an aha moment and it was, it was in detection. Um, so nobody, nobody stepped on anything for two deployments. Um, we never missed anything. Uh, and we were in the heav most heavily IED parks in Afghanistan. And so really when it came to detection, um, that's where I trusted my dog. Cause I knew my dog would bite. And so, and that happened, you know, throughout the deployments later. Uh, but the detection piece is what, so when, when I start having confidence on, you know, something like that, like a 5k infill in the desert, you know, everybody knows with odor, that's not the easiest thing to do. And so, um, when trusting the dog like that, that it was a aha moment for me of, uh, all the reps and, and stuff like that, that we put in. So. Awesome. So, um, you do, uh, the time with the dog. Um, so you start starting to pull the cord. Uh, you're not going to do 20 years in the Rangers apparently. Right. So, <laughs> so you pull the cord and you get out. Um, and now we're where we are now. So talk a little bit about getting out. Okay. That happened. And, uh, then we'll start right. doing the, uh, we'll do, we'll do a break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about, uh, the other stuff you guys have going on. So go ahead and talk about getting out. No, perfect. So I was about to get out. So I was like, you know what? I've only had one dog, um, that I handled. And so, and they're adult dogs, you know, when you have a special operation dogs, they're, they have their own set of, uh, prerequisites criteria to make them the dogs that we use for our higher tier units. So in my mind, I was like, man, this is cake work. Like if I got out now, I don't know anything about dogs still because one, I got a dog that was already a veteran Two, I only had one dog. And so I'm like, I don't, even two deployments in Afghanistan, I'm like, I haven't touched. Uh, I mean, you handle the other dogs, right? I've got scars to prove how. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when you are handling other dogs, you handle them in situations and you, you're, you're training them, but it's not the same. And so it's still at the same time. Within that amount of time, maybe you only put your hands on, I would say, less than 10 different dogs that are not your own so as a as a handler so i was like man i don't i don't know jack about anything really at that time even though you know i'm like oh ranger two deployments canine like whole nine i'm like man in the dog world i don't know nothing still so what i did was i, I got a malinois puppy while i was still in while while living in the barracks i don't recommend uh and so it was pretty illegal uh to have a dog inside your army barracks let alone mm. a brand new malinois puppy and so i basically just went for broke i'm like well i'm gonna start learning about these dogs from a different point of view so i had a malinois puppy um and then when i got out i kept that dog for a little bit uh and then ended up giving it away after i imprinted biting bite work and some nose work so when I got out, I was like, man, I think I want to do dogs. Uh, contracting is probably 
always going to be there. You know, I thought I was like, but dogs, this, this might be onto something. So I actually, um, I went back from Georgia, went back home to Virginia beach at this time. Uh, I was told to get in touch with, uh, with a trainer and business owner. Most people know who he is, uh, Jeff Franklin. And so he owns Cobra canine. And so I literally volunteered like for two months. Uh, I just went out there every day. I didn't have a job. And I went out, I drove like 40 minutes to his place and I just picked up poop and cleaned dogs and handled monsters. And so, um, he knew of my background and stuff like that, but it doesn't, you know, that the background and then jumping into the civilian world, uh, it doesn't really carry too much weight. So I was like, you know what, I'll clean kennels. I'll do this. So I did it for, for free volunteered whole nine until, um, I think he, he started watching me work detection and work actually working dogs in some scenarios. And so I think that's where my handler, a little bit of experience paid off um, because then he offered me a position for the uh, SEAL contract. And so then I started training in the SEAL programs, um, both East Coast and West Coast um, for that amount of time when I got out in uh, 2012. 2013 14 time frame um that's when i started working the the seal canine uh contract so as far as i know there's there's not too many guys who got out as um special operations canine handlers and then also went into the trainer side and then started training uh special operation canines uh also so being a handler on one end of the spectrum uh and then also being a trainer for that same spectrum, but a, you know, different world. So that was basically my transition from going from military to civilian was staying inside the same wheelhouse, just jumping the fence of uh, handler and trainer, if that makes sense. So um, I really give, you know, a shout out to, to Jeff. He gave me a shot in the dog world um, and he started grooming me and so I can train and hands-on all these different dogs, testing dogs, selecting dogs. You know, he would bring in batches from Europe and we'd go through because as trainers, uh, as Eric knows, and, and you're training for a very specific dog for a special operations application. Um, so you go through a lot and you get to see a lot. So uh, he, he mentored me in the, the transition from military uh, into civilian. Um, and then also from handling mindset and handler skills to uh, testing and training um, skill sets. So big difference, yeah. Yeah, it's huge difference. Handler, you know, as a handler, you're like, ah. Oh. And I'm sure, you know, John's a seal. He's probably like, I know it all, right? Uh, <laughs> I, I I got the full package, uh -oh. you know. <laughs> and so I, you know, I had the same mentality. I'm like, you know what? I did this at you know, one of the highest levels, like I can do this. And then you get in the civilian world and like, boy, are you wrong? You're like, man, I think that's a good dog. Shit dog, <laughs> man. Yeah. That's a horrible dog. Yeah. Nope. That's an amazing dog. Like, and you start, you're like, but that one doesn't have a tail. You're like, I don't care. It works. <laughs> that one's got a floppy yeah. ear. That's the best detection dog we got. And so you yeah. start like from a handler, your mindset starts changing. Um, because you're not seeing from the eyes of, just end user, you're looking from the person who needs to mold, train, and select a dog so that that end user 
um, has the best odds of success. And so it, it's a completely different um, mind frame. Like, like both of you guys are very well talented and you guys know. Um, so that's where uh, Jeff at Gober K9, he kind of, he put me under his wing and I probably wouldn't be here or in the dog world if it wasn't for him taking a shot. And he just sees this, this ranger who is a cool guy and now he's picking up poop. And then he was like, Oh, well, you know, come let's, uh, let's train dogs. So that's yeah, how, that's, you know, I got into the dog world. So that's awesome. All right. We're going to take a break real quick, uh, get our sponsors in here. And then when we come back. We're going to talk, about what you guys got going on right now. Um, I think people will be really happy to hear some of the things you guys are doing. Let's take a second and talk about Dogtra. Astute trainers with proper training tools are the key to unleashing any dog's potential. For over 30 years, Dogtra has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools in e-collar training, GPS tracking, and boss training to support dog owners in developing top-notch dogs. One of the ways they do that is superior technology, ergonomics, design, and durability. They have gradual and precise stimulation control via their patented 127-level rheostat dial, so you have a minimal jump in stimulations. They have trusted durability and reliability. I use them every day at the kennel and have for years. Works all the time, every time. Weatherproof, waterproof, and pretty much idiot-proof. They're, speaking of which, is intuitive and innovative. There's no fuss, no hassle. When you hear Eric talking about making sure the handlers know exactly where the remote is and it's a no-look use, this is exactly what he's talking about. Hit him up at doctor.com. PK90 mid-roll. Let me hop in here for two seconds and talk about the Police Canine Association. Uh, the Police Canine Association was established in 1985. So shortly after they established the unit, they created this association as well as the bylaws created by handlers for handlers. The association was created to help get equipment and training needed to keep the teams successful and current. There is a cost to starting and maintaining a program, which I think you've probably heard Eric and I talk about a lot. However, financial expenses are often cut out for equipment and training in order to maintain policing in other areas. This is where these guys come in, which is super important. This is how they assist these other agencies. They help offset the cost in training equipment and medical needs for both active and retired canines. The Police Canine Association assists canine handlers from about 20 police and sheriff's departments. They continue to grow, and as they continue to grow, so does the need for support. So check them out, pk9a.com, Police Canine Association. If you head over there, they've got sweet hoodies, hats, T-shirts, all kinds of stuff. Head over there, check them out, pk9a. Okay, we're back. Uh, we have Eric Innes, former ranger handler, and John Devine, former Navy SEAL handler. Um, Eric from Coastline Canine, and John from Devine Canines. Um, we'll we'll start with Eric. Eric, talk to us um, about your you guys combined efforts here. What you're up to? Okay, great. So uh, our combined efforts, uh, we just recently recently launched and got our, our approval for the Rescue 22 Foundation. Um, we are a now complete 5013C um, as of uh, earlier this month. And so it was really an idea that um, kind of came together organically. Um, after doing a few things, me and John, we were like, well, let's team up on something. You know, and we thought like, oh, well, let's make some type of company or let's merge brands or whatever, because 
uh, interesting enough, even coming from two different worlds, uh, the SEAL world and then the Ranger world, even though we had not worked together um, on like uh, in cohesion on, on something, but our mindset and our approach to certain dog problems were almost identical. So therefore, you know, just like you guys know, when you work with some trainers, you're like, man, you guys are back ass words. I would never do that. And then there's some trainers you're like, you've never talked to them before, but you're on the same page. And so, exactly. um, you know, me and John kind of found that where, man, we're on the same page. We share similar experience. We come from similar, um, you know, units and, and levels and stuff like that. So we thought about doing something. Well, the problem that I was seeing in the dog world um, is trying to match how could I use the dog world and what I do, what I know, how could I use that to come up with a solution or at least some type of an attempt to help transitioning veterans, right? And the reason why this came up is because uh, over the few years, training dogs and, and whatnot, I've had multiple of my guys, right, coming from, you know, prior operator, unit guys, whatever. Hey, can you help me with this? Or how do I do this? And then it started snowballing, not just from dog training, but I would get questions from my peers of, hey, I want to get a service dog. Uh, how do I go about it? Right. So uh, over the past few months and years, then veteran suicide also skyrocketed, right? So I started seeing a problem here. I'm sure you've guys all seen it. Like, you know, if you want to prevent veteran suicide, like, like, comment, and share. Or, you know, do this or do that and didn't really have an answer um, in regards to helping veterans out. Um, So about a a few months ago, there was uh, about – I would say let, just less than a handful of uh, special operations guys back to back to back to back. Suicide, 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 suicide. And at that time, I was like, dang, like, what can I do other than like, hey, point you in a different direction, right? Um, so it's like there's got to be some type of mesh. There's got to be something from the dog world and then that I can give them so that they have something tangible uh, to help Um, so what we started thinking about instead of doing some type of other entity or whatever, you know, I called John and I was like, Hey, I want to start this foundation, a nonprofit to help battle veteran suicide. And this is what we're going to do. This is what I'm thinking. So to backtrack a little bit, how that got into that conversation with John is I was working with a few other nonprofits to evaluate Malinois and Shepherds to see if they were a good fit to be rehomed, um, you know, based on a behavior or a temperament or something, then I would go test and evaluate these dogs, right? Yes, this is good. No, I would never adopt this out to anybody, like, whole nine. So then I started thinking, well, there are plenty of Malinois and Shepherds that uh, don't get approved for either a specific job or through the roof in this country for whatever reason right now. People are buying Malinois, and then at like four months old, six months old, a year old, they decide that they should have never gotten a Malinois, and 
they try to rehome it to somebody. So I was thinking with John, I was like, well, I've got an idea. Let's take all of these working dog breeds, right? Malinois, Dutch Shepherds, German Shepherds, these dogs that are uh, getting either rehomed or they're doing whatever. Let's give them a task. We can take these dogs that work and then let's pair them up. Let's train them and let's train them as service dogs for veterans. So uh, to circumvent around the organization that John and I, we, we basically co-founded the Rescue 22 Foundation is we take a working dog um, that maybe didn't make a police program or didn't make this program or is just being rehomed by a family because they don't know what they got into. And then we give them a job, a task, and we train them as a service dog. And then we pair them with a matching veteran depending on their situation. So not only are we getting more hands on dogs, we're training more dogs, we're keeping dogs out of shelters. We're taking dogs off people's hands that have no business having a working dog in the first place. And uh, we're giving that dog a, a task and a purpose. And then hopefully at the same time, we're preventing a veteran from committing suicide because he's going down, you know, a, a dark rabbit hole. So um, what's interesting about Rescue 22 Foundation is that uh, it is our plan, our model, our what we're trying to aim for is that the service dog, all the equipment, the training and everything is zero cost to the veteran. And so... Oh, wow. The reason why we wanted to do that is because it's it's a real bad mix of water and oil if you have a veteran, which there are some companies out there, right? Some even so-called quote-unquote nonprofits, and a veteran turns to them, hey, I want a service dog. They go through a program. Halfway through the program, they figure out they have a $38,000 bill, right? Hey, you need a fundraise. You need to sell popcorn or candy or whatever you want to do to figure out. And then they pay $38,000, you know, uh, the veteran has to now worry about a financial problem. So not only do you have a veteran that's maybe walking the edge or already is trying to deal with stuff, but then now drop a financial bomb in his lap. How's that going to go? It doesn't work too well. Okay. Um, or you have a veteran who has to fundraise for three years before he can get a service dog. Then... What we were trying to do is we're trying to give a solution to the problem in an expeditious manner. So that way, all that veteran has to do is he receives his dog, he works with his dog, and uh, they become a team, and then they graduate. And now that at the end of the day, the veteran is alive, or he has a reason to be alive. Um, so... We try to strive for equipment sponsors, food sponsors, all of this stuff. So that way, not only does this veteran, he's going to receive a service dog, but hopefully when he receives a service dog, he doesn't have to go out and spend $1,000 on initial setup equipment for this dog. So we wanted to be as, as uh, unburdened uh, to the veteran as possible, meaning all they need to do is put in some time, effort, and focus <clears throat> And that's it. So that's how we're trying to move forward and have an answer from the dog world um, and helping prevent our our peers and other veterans uh, in need from, from committing suicide, from being a 22-a-day statistic. 
it's kind of where it came from. So, yeah, that, that's amazing work. So, John, um, in, in that work, um, so you you know you're in the teams for a while and you're doing all all that and you you meet guys from all the branches and a lot of special operations guys and now you're dealing with these guys that are having these issues that you're helping them out with the dogs. <clears throat> How many of these guys? you know, that, that you see that are struggling with these problems are, are basically you, but a couple of different things happen. I mean, how relatable is, is this situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Because I mean, initially when I first got out of the SEAL teams, the first thing I did was go get a dog. And I kind of went a different route on it in that I didn't go out and get a Malinois puppy. I, uh, I, I got in touch with a rescue and they had a dog that was pretty much unadoptable. They tried adopting it out to about three different people and each one was a failure. And I was like, wow, that sounds like a cool project. Let's take, let's take the one no one wants. <laughs> so I, uh, I took that dog, Jean, and you might see her a little bit in my social media here and there. She's, uh, she's kind of getting a little older, so she's not as active as she used to be. But that was a great experience for me in, uh, in working the opposite end of the spectrum, like not working a dog that wasn't, you know, perfectly selected for the situation. Um, to be able to actually work problems and, and fix it. But then, um, after I got really involved in training, I started noticing how many other veterans there really are that are in the same exact boat as me, except for they didn't have um, the same exact dog background. But there's a lot of guys out there on deployment that really relate to these dogs because they had their lives. Yes, they weren't a handler, but they had their lives saved by these dogs. And they still have a bond with these dogs. And they have a relationship with these dogs that... I mean, Eric will tell you just as much as, as me is that when we're on deployment, yes, our dogs are saving lives, but they're also like the morale dog and that everyone right. wants to be in the, do- in the dog handler's room. Everybody, when they're missing home, they're coming to our room. So like your dog is almost like the platoon counselor, you know, right. and when these veterans get out, they're drawn to these working breeds, not because we all, we all understand the situation that like there are certain breeds that are inherently usually better suited for service dog work for doing task related work that you don't have to worry about, you know, a Maligator, you know, <laughs> hardware. Um, right. But the reason why even we're drawn to using, you know, working breeds more so than other breeds is just, is just because that relationship that's already preexisting in these veterans that they remember being on deployment with these breeds of dogs. And that's why they're kind of drawn towards them. And it really helps, um, you know, bridge that form. And uh, I went through it myself. I went out and got a German Shepherd Malinois mix named Jean, and she really helped me. Um, I did a speech, you know, about a year ago for Clever Talks, and the, the, the talk was that my canine saved my life. And everybody was thinking, like, oh, wow, this is going to be like, you know, like a war, like a, a long war story, you know. And, yes, like we touched on what we did overseas and whatnot, but really the story was that, you know, getting out and realizing that dogs could be just as much a part of my life outside of the field teams as they were inside is what really, you know, saved my life and shaped, you know, where I am today. Awesome. Yeah. We, uh, Torchlight just donated, uh, three dogs to you guys and, uh, from the Gina litter and they were, they should turn out awesome. Uh, you know, they're, you know, they're just happy go lucky little Malinois and, you know, awesome. didn't have a lot of drive great environmentally, but you know, I mean, they're not really yep. scared of anything, but they won't chase anything either, but they're super right. awesome. But yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you guys went from yeah. using dogs to save lives overseas, and now you're doing it here in the United States. That's awesome. So where can we find – or where can people find rescue information about Rescue 22? Well, uh, the website is rescue22foundation.org, 
And uh, and currently, we started a uh, a Rescue 22 challenge that you might see popping up on Instagram and whatnot. So basically, it's a uh, it's a dog squat challenge where we're challenging people to do 22 dog squats with their dog, and uh, and to call out a friend. And basically, if you fail the challenge or your friend fails the challenge, they owe twenty two dollars to the Rescue Twenty Two Foundation. And uh, and I'll take this uh. opportunity, and I'm going to take this opportunity to uh, to challenge you guys to do a uh, the Rescue Twenty Two Challenge, which is basically twenty two dog squats. And I'm going to do twenty two dog squats live on the air with you right now. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> oh God. Um, so. Uh, Eric, where uh, where can we find uh, you guys, or you specifically, um, on Instagram and Facebook and uh, website and everything else? Okay, well, as far as uh, the company or... Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so coastlinek9.com. Um, the letter K, um, the number nine, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number, or letter K, number nine. And then I'm probably more active on Instagram because it's kind of hard to type when you got dogs running around. So it's easier to uh, take a picture and, and say something nice and fancy and, and uh, invigorating. So um, same thing, Instagram, coastline underscore uh, canine. And then we do everything from, you know, pet to behavior modification to even high-end protection dogs, um, as well as uh, consultating, uh, consulting Right. Let's be less, less uh, high nose. So consulting <laughs> um, for police and then even internationally. Uh, I've gone um, overseas and, and done some uh, train the trainer and, and trainer courses down in South America and stuff like that. So we do pretty much anything you need us to do uh, within reason. So um, where yeah, are the you're, floor, you're we're out of the floor, floor right? area. Yep. Yeah. Out okay. of the Sarasota, like Tampa area, Southwest, um, Florida. And so that's also one of the locations for the rescue 22 foundation. Um, and then we have a location for rescue 22 foundation down there with Keith in Tennessee. And then over at John's yep. place in the West coast, um, in LA. So, all right. I'll tell you what, guys. If you guys have 22 seconds to spare, I'm gonna do 22 dog squats for you guys right now on air. Count them. Do out. it. Do it live. All right. Mm-hmm. Here we go. We're gonna hear 22 oh, yeah. grunts and breathing. Oh, God. <laughs> One. Uh, so. Two. John. We're listening. Yeah. We're gonna see if a seal can count to 22. Six. Seven. Eight. <laughs> nine. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. You had to think about it. 22. Uh, I had a squirmy dog for a second there. Yeah. All right, guys. He ran out of fingers and toes. So, right. Uh, so, John, where can we find you on Instagram and on uh the interwebs all right well you can find me at www.divinecanines.com i swear i'm just uh doing breathing exercises i'm not out of breath at all right of course. <laughs> uh, you can find me at you can find me at divine canines on instagram and on facebook we don't really do the twitter or the snapchat you know we're not 12 years old but uh yeah you can find us on instagram and uh 
one just grabbed and put my dog back down. Uh, I'm going to challenge you guys to be able to do uh, 22 squats with your dogs. You guys don't have to pick an 85-pound dog if you don't want to. Uh, but if you want to, you can. If you have a smaller Malinois, you can do that. Oh, man. Um, basically, <laughs> we're doing this in the sense of, uh, yeah, the 22 dog squats doesn't do really anything for any veterans. But what it does do is it gets attention. And if that attention results in a donation, then that actually does go towards something. Because 100% of all our proceeds, we don't we don't pay ourselves at all from this foundation. Like, we, uh, 100% of all... Yeah, the, uh, the fundraising that's done goes straight towards the veterans, you know, for uh, for actually placing these service dogs with veterans. So we really do appreciate if you, and if you don't have 22 bucks to spare, that's OK. Like just spreading the word. And I'll be honest, for a lot of people, like just spreading the word and getting other people to contribute is even more powerful than, than giving 22 bucks. I would even say that I would rather people share the word than give a donation, you know. So we really right. appreciate you guys having us on there giving us a platform to get the word out there and for everybody that's already started to take part in our challenge. We thank you for that. And, uh, and a preemptive thank you to everybody that is going to be taking this challenge and, uh, and helping to spread the word. We thank you a lot. Great. Thank yeah, you, man. That, that was really cool. This was, this was, you guys are doing good stuff, man. There's a lot of, a lot of good information in here. Uh, Ted, where, where are you at? Uh, I am on Instagram at Ted underscore Summers and Working Dog Dry Goods, and of course the podcast has its own Instagram at Working underscore Dog underscore Radio, and we can find you where uh, Van S K Nine on Instagram and Van S K Nine Academy on Facebook. Um, yep. Most of the stuff on Instagram. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and our stuff's on Facebook too. So yeah. Well, guys, Eric, John, it was fucking awesome. We appreciate awesome. you coming on. So appreciate it. So, it was. It'll be good. Um, yeah. So uh, everybody listening, we've got some good episodes coming up for uh, hits that we're probably at right now. While you're listening to this, we'll be doing some live streaming. So be sure to check us out and to be uh, be looking for that. If you're not able to catch the live ones, we're going to be recording it, so we'll be uploading it. So you can get it on iTunes, you can get it on Spotify, you can get it on Google Play, wherever you normally get the podcast. So with that, we will talk to everybody soon. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. No, absolutely. All right. Appreciate hey, thanks for having us on there. All right, brother. No problem, and, man. Uh, I got to go train. Yeah. All right. All Me right. too. I got to see you. I'll, 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 I'll get my video. All right. <laughs> for anybody wondering, I've got to go train two doodles before it rains, okay? I, I got you. It makes sense. <laughs> makes sense. Story. All right, brother. We'll see you. All right. All right. Take care. It's no secret that Eric and I are both professional trainers, meaning that we go through a lot of toys teaching dogs to find drugs, bombs, bugs, whatever. The problem always is durability or safety. When we get a dog that's a super hard biter and a chewer, we got to go with a harder toy, which tears up their teeth. Or we get a dog that goes with a softer toy, and we always have an issue with durability or safety, having them chew it up and swallow it. I think a good solution to that is check out the guys from USA-K9.com. 
USA Canine uses a natural rubber, which is much safer and environmentally friendly. Plus, they're also USA made and they're restringable, which is a huge deal for me since we use Dutch boxes. For every purchase you guys make using the discount code K9PRO, that's the letter K, the number 9, P-R-O, they're going to donate 10% of that sale so that we can give away some toys to deployed MWD teams across the world. Hit them up, usa-k9.com. Use the discount code, the letter K, the number 9, P-R-O. That's K9PRO. Working Dog Radio is edited and co-produced by Dustin Wright at Bracket Designs. Be sure to hit him up at bracketdesigns.com for any branding or content-related work you have. We were graciously granted permission to use this rad music by Brother Deeg. Go buy him a beer at brotherdeeg, spelled D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com, spelled D-E-G-E, or hit him up on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or any other music streaming stores. Check the show notes for links to both of these creative geniuses.